Well, good morning, everybody. It's like reliving a bad dream all over again, right? Thank you, Glenn. Appreciate your encouragement of laughter there. Like I said last week, you can either laugh with me or at me. I don't care, just as long as you're laughing. But uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, as you're turning to Exodus, we're going to be in chapter 12 this morning. Chapter 12. The good news is we've only got like 15 chapters to cover this morning at the pace Kevin sets. So we'll be in good shape. Once again, that's not funny. We'll keep going. But uh, uh, my name is Greg Key. I'm on staff here overseeing the media. And uh, it actually is pretty funny. Uh, about a month or so ago, uh, Kevin asked me if I could fill in for him last week while he was gone to the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. And I said, yeah, man, because I knew he was doing Exodus this summer. Uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've enjoyed teaching through it uh, various times throughout the years. And I said, dude, that'd be awesome, man. I said, well, where are you uh, in Exodus? And he said, well, we'll be going through the plagues. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that's some good stuff in the plagues. And I, he said, well, we'll be wrapping up uh, the ninth plague the Sunday before. And I was like, bro, you're giving up Passover? And he was like, no, I'm not. Um, he said, actually, I've scheduled it for the following Sunday, and so you just do a one-off. And I'm like, oh. And so in my spirit, a little bit, I was disappointed, man, because the 10th plague is, is awesome. Uh, Passover is awesome. And so uh, as it turned out, I'm not happy that Kevin has COVID, not by any stretch of the means. Don't you uh, twist what I'm saying here. But I am happy uh, that he called me and was like, hey, could you do the 10th plague? I know you want to do it anyway. I was like, yes, I can. So uh, anyway, so that's where we're going to be this morning uh, in Exodus chapter 12 uh, in spilling over into Exodus chapter 13. If you haven't been here this summer, maybe you weren't here a couple weeks ago, uh, Kevin did do, they're, they're, we're in the plagues. Uh, there are 10 plagues total. Uh, the nation of Israel has been enslaved to the Egyptians for over 400 years. Uh, it all started uh, with Jacob being sold uh, by his brothers uh, into slavery uh, being taken into Egypt, and then through a series of events, he moved his whole family uh, into Egypt, and Pharaoh loved him. Uh, I said Jacob. I meant Joseph. Uh, Joseph uh, loved, loved him and uh, put his whole family in this really plush community known as Goshen, okay? This is probably more of the gated community, the community that's got like a couple swimming pools. You pay a homeowner's association dues, you know, all that fun stuff. That's Goshen. And it says in the scriptures that there came a time... Uh, as the generations begin to pass along and as the Israelites begin to grow uh, in number, it says there came a time where there was a Pharaoh who knew not of Joseph or the things of Joseph, and he was like, who are these foreigners in our land? Why are they so many? Why do they have the plush area? And he enslaved them. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel have been enslaved. They've been crying out to God to be rescued, to be saved. They've been mistreated. They've been in a terrible situation. And that's where God raised up Moses to come along and say, hey, I need you to go to Pharaoh. I need you to uh, tell him to let my people go. Moses reluctantly went. He didn't want to do it. He confessed that to the Lord. So God brought his brother Aaron alongside him like Batman and Robin minus the tights and the bad jokes. And they went in and basically God would talk to Moses. Moses would uh, tell that to Aaron. Aaron would go speak to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said no. So now God sends these 10 plagues upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. But listen, as Kevin said two weeks ago, right, he didn't do these things just to smite Pharaoh, okay? This isn't like instant karma, which is some of the best stuff on social media, by the way. It's not like the plagues are instant karma for Pharaoh being a punk. That's not what this is about, right? But as Kevin mentioned two weeks ago, these plagues are taking place so that everyone that beheld them could know who God is, 
what he's capable of, and how he truly is God Almighty, especially in a land like Egypt where they worshiped so many gods. God's establishing himself not only to the people of Israel, but also to the people of Egypt. He's establishing himself as the God of all gods, as the Lord of all lords. Okay, so that's why we have the plagues. And today we come to the 10th and the final plague. It is, metaphorically speaking, the nail in the coffin, if you will. It is the plague that, that finalizes all of the plagues, and it turns Pharaoh's heart to the point that he finally uh, relinquishes and relents and tells the people, please leave. Please leave. And all the people of Egypt were in support uh, of this decision. So there's four things this morning in these chapters. We're going to start in chapter 12. Um, in chapter 11, Kevin kind of set that up two weeks ago where Moses goes and warns Pharaoh. Hey, bro, my paraphrase. He says, hey, bro, here's the deal. God's had enough. If you don't let us go, this 10th plague is going to be nasty. It's going to be really nasty. There's going to be death all over the land. And Pharaoh still hardens his heart and says, not a chance. And it says that Pharaoh, I mean, that Moses walked away angry, right? I, I believe that Moses walked away angry for a lot of reasons. See, Moses knew Pharaoh. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house for the first 40 years of his life. He knew the royal family personally. And I think it really burdened him to see all the devastation and all the destruction that was happening to this family that he knew, to this land that he was raised in for the first 40 years of his life, just because of the arrogance of this one Pharaoh. And it says Moses walked away angry. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 12, verse 1. And there's four things that I want to look at today, okay? The first thing is the specifications of the substitute. And the second thing is the certainty of the substitute. Now, I went ahead and gave you points one and two because these two truths intermingle and kind of weave together in these first 28 verses. So if you have a copy of God's Word, in Exodus chapter 12, here we find ourselves in verse 1, heading into the 10th and final plague. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of the Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to that which each can eat. So you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall take it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of their houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of the raw or bold in water, but roast it its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall not let any of it return until the morning, or remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In the same manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff on your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will 
pass over and no plague will befell you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold an assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but everyone needs to eat that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day, on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentils and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt. And when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses... And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful encounter in Scripture. If you've never read it before, you've never heard it before, never studied it before, uh, this is the plague, we call it the Passover. And we, and we call that rightfully so because it's the last plague where the Spirit of God passed over each home in Egypt, right? And, and some of them were spared, and, and some of them were not. Now, if you're like me, we've read this passage, we've heard plenty of sermons, whether it be an Easter Sunday, whether it be a Lord's Supper service, uh, whether it be going through the book of Exodus like we're doing now. And so for many of us, if not for all of us, we've, we've heard this encounter, we've heard this in plagues, uh, this, this story so much. That, that for us, we're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's the Passover, right? It's, it's the lamb that was slain. But I, I need you to kind of maybe remove all of that for a minute and act as if you're hearing this for the first time and, and think to yourself, am I the only one that thinks that this means of salvation seems kind of odd? Right? Like, like if it were up to me, which it's not, Salvation would come through eating donuts and drinking Mountain Dew. I mean, that's, how, that's what I would pick personally, right? If you want to be saved... Down some donuts, drink Mountain Dew, and you'd be like, yes, I like that, right? Uh, this just seems odd because, listen, of the first nine plagues, if you weren't here when Kevin covered those or you've never read them, of the first nine plagues, they did nothing to be saved, right? Just the fact that they were who they were, God spared them. And all the nine plagues, everything that was happening was happening in Egypt, but Goshen 
was not. It was saved. So like when darkness fell, and it was such a darkness they said you could feel it, but yet there was light in Goshen. Or when gnats came, good night of living. I'm like Moses. Of all the animals on the ark to save, you couldn't help a brother out and take care of gnats and mosquitoes. I mean, come on, especially in the summer. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so Goshen wasn't affected. But now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, there's something that has to be done in order for their salvation to be final. Something has to be applied. And you say, okay, well, maybe I could bring an offering. Maybe I could worship. Maybe I could make a commitment to the Lord. And like, no, I need you to take a sheep. Which, by the way, in case you didn't know, uh, the Israelites were slaves. They didn't have a whole lot of possessions, right? They, they were poor. So, so this is a big sacrifice for them. Not only that, look at some of these specifications, okay? In, in chapter 12, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, um, here's some of the specifications that we see about this lamb. Number one, it's completely sufficient no matter who you are, big or small. Because notice what it says here. He says, like, if your family's too small, then it's okay. You can pair up with somebody else. Basically, what he's saying is, if your family doesn't have a lot, it's okay. You can still be covered. Or, if your family does have a lot, and your family has plentiful, that's fine. You can be covered as well. Verse 5 tells us that it needs to be without blemish. It needs to be perfect. Which, that alone is very difficult, right? Because... Creation is imperfect. There are no perfect people physically. We, we may think they're perfect, but they're not. Photoshop helps a lot, right? Uh, and animals are the same way, right? So it needs to be uh, a, a lamb without Photoshop, if you will, okay? Uh, the, here's what, uh, in verse 6, it says the slaughter uh, needs to happen for everyone at the same time. He says, uh, take your, your lamb without blemish, a male lamb. Uh, that's another specification. Uh, and uh, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So every lamb is being sacrificed for everyone at the same time. And then in verse 7, and then what happens is the blood is applied to the doorpost of their home, which is their dwelling place. So these are some very specific things, right? It's going to cost you. You've got to sacrifice something. Uh, it needs to be perfect. And the blood needs to be applied to your doorpost, okay? So these are some of the specifications. But then, look at this. Even though we might think, or maybe I'm the only one, even though we might think this seems a little odd, look at the certainty of this substitution, right? Uh, because God does things so differently. But look at what he says in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And verse 13, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Look at the certainty, right? God, <clears throat> God gives a promise of certainty that this method will work. If you're the Israelites, this seems kind of strange. They've never had a practice like this ever, okay? They, they've never had anything they've done like this before. This is a one-off for them. It would seem a little strange to most of them, if not all of them, that this is the method that God's going to use in order to save them. But God assures them with certainty that it will be sufficient, that it will be faithful to do these things. So look in verse 21. Moses doesn't go, God, are you sure? <laughs> right? When he hears that, he's, like, he's not like, God, are you sure that's the way you want to do it? Like, that's kind of strange. 
Moses says, okay, deal. I mean, at this point, right, Moses knows. So in verse 21, he calls all the people together, and he tells all of them, and then look at the certainty that Moses uses to express to the people. The same certainty God expressed to Moses, he wants to assure them as well. Um, In verse 23, for the Lord will pass through and strike down the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood and the lentil and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you down, right? So he, he says all this with certainty, and, and then no one ever questioned and said, bro, that seems weird. Look in, look in verse, uh, the end of verse 27. When Moses was done, it says, so the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. I, 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 I picture this is like a sign of relief. These guys have been struggling their whole lives. All they've heard from their grandparents, from their great-grandparents, all of their family's history has been slavery and suffering and torture. It actually tells us early on in Exodus that they were under the greatest level of scrutiny leading into these plagues that they had ever been. Pharaoh was the hardest on them. He removed, uh, removed tools that would help them just to make it harder for them. And so you can almost hear this sigh of relief that leads them to worship because now they have this hope of, of a substitutionary sacrifice and the certainty of God that brings them kind of that light at the end of the tunnel, that hope that you can turn the corner. Any, any run, I know Grant's a runner, any other runners in here, it's kind of like if you've ever done like a long course and it's like when you make that last turn and you can see the finish line, it kind of gives you a little bit of a boost to like keep going, right? This is kind of like them turning the corner and seeing the finish line that now the certainty that this is about to be done. And so look in verse 28. So the people of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. Now, how could they have such certainty? Well, remember, this is the tenth of ten plagues. They've already seen nine times the Lord show himself, prove his authority, prove his power, and keep his hand on them at the same time. To, to quote the old phrase, they've already seen nine times that the proof was in the pudding. They, they were very certain because they had already seen the Lord work. And, and Matt, got a little side note. As you continue to get older, as you continue to walk with the Lord, you'll be able to look back on your life and you'll see these moments where God was faithful. You'll see these moments where God provided and the proof will be in the pudding so that when you come into a different place in your life, You've already seen where God has been faithful. You've already seen what God has done. It's a lot easier to trust him. And, 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 and ask any of the people in the room that are table group leaders or adults that have been walking with the Lord for a while, and they'll probably tell you, like, yeah, it's still hard sometimes to trust the Lord because we still sin. But when I look back and see what God has done, it makes it a lot easier to trust him in the next step because he's always been faithful. And that's how this worked here. So we see the specifications of the substitute We see the certainty of the substitute. Now look at the sufficiency of the substitute. It's the moment of truth and the moment of judgment. Look in verse 29. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. 
Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their their kneading bowls uh, being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, and they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sokoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock. Excuse me. Both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and they could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so that this night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Guys, you see the the sufficiency of the substitute. They did it. They sacrificed their lambs with the specifications the Lord had told them. They applied the blood to their doorposts, and it says in here, that the the substitute was sufficient. The the Spirit of the Lord came, and as he passed over the houses where the blood was applied, their firstborn were saved, and the houses that did not have the blood applied, their firstborn died that evening. Very tragic, very tragic. But just as the Lord said, the sacrifice, the substitute, would be sufficient. Now, it's kind of like this. Imagine, if you will, a football game. Some of you may have played football. Some of you may have watched football. But the coaches, right, are calling in plays because they're observing what's happening on the field. They're observing what the other team is doing. They're, they're taking note of what they're having success with. They're taking notes on what they're not having success with. At least if they're a good coach, they should be doing that. Sometimes as a fan, you go, are you doing that? Anyway, and so, so when, a, when a coach calls a play in, he calls a play in thinking through what should work, right? He's, he's very certain that if this play is done at this moment, the way that it's supposed to be done, this should work. Right? He, he has this hope that, that that play should be sufficient to, to give them the result that they need, whether it be a touchdown, picking up a first down, whatever it is. But even there, they are kind of got their fingers crossed like this should be sufficient, but we still don't know. <laughs> like it's th- there's still a, a little bit of a, a something that may happen. This is not that, okay? This is not the people going, I'm going to kill this lamb by the specifications he gave. I'm going to apply the blood over the doorposts and... Fingers crossed, right? They didn't go to bed that night kind of with one eye closed and one eye open and fingers crossed, and they're like, you know, please, Lord, please. You know, they, they, they knew with certainty that the Lord was going to provide because he already had, and the proof is it was. It was sufficient. The saving promise of the Lord is always sufficient for everyone who receives it by faith. Now we close out with the celebration the celebration of the substitute. We've already seen this right throughout other places uh, where the Lord commanded them to do this. 
the institution of the Passover. Look at verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is brought uh, for money may eat of it, and after you have circumcised him, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. There's another specification for the lamb. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that, here it is, on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Don't let that be a transitional verse for you right there, right? They finally have been set free. They finally experienced freedom. It's what they have been praying for and hoping for for so long. I can only imagine the elation. Right, Just the, the, the myriad of emotions that would come through. Look at chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. 13.3, here's the start of the feast of the unleavened bread. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Now, a little side note here, I think we all can understand this passage because all of us who have put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ can all recall that moment, right? Some of the details may be a little blurry depending on what all was happening, but all of us recall a moment, right, where we can remember the day that we were saved. We can remember the day where God brought us out of slavery from death to life. That's what's happening here for them. Today in the month of Abib, so verse 4, you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, you shall tell your sons on that day, verse 8, this is cool, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord was brought, has brought you uh, out of Egypt. You shall, or you shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. So here we have the, the celebration. We know it as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Two things uh, in this moment. It's, it's such a monumental moment, right? The people of Israel being released from Egypt. That number one, it says that their calendar year started at this point. This is how they mark time. Their calendar year, their January 1, if you will. Their New Year's was the day that, that they were released from Egypt. That's how important this was for them. And then number two, it was a celebration that they were to do every year. And it says in here, and when your kids grow up and they're born in the wilderness or they're born outside of this and they say, why do we do this? You tell them. Tell them your family's history. Tell them the story of redemption of the Lord. Tell them how the Lord freed you from the Egyptians and then that way they will know. Well, we transition to today, right? All of these happen 
as a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice and substitute to rescue all of humanity from the slavery of sin to be freed from worship. This is a foreshadowing of the perfect, final, substitutionary lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Think with me, if you will, about the specifications of the substitute. Remember, number one, completely sufficient no matter who you are. Well, that applies to us today. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The beautiful thing about Jesus Christ as our substitutionary lamb is that no matter what type of family background that you come from, you may come from a small family, you may come from a large family, you may come from a family who has been blessed with a lot of wealth, you may come from a family of poverty, you may come from a blended family, you may not come from a blended family. It doesn't matter what ethnic uh, uh, family or, or area of the world that you were born into. Brother Al used to say this all the time, Jesus is no respecter of persons. And what that means is the Lamb of God is completely sufficient for you and for me, regardless of where we come from. And that's awesome. The second thing it said was that the lamb had to be without blemish or perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, lived the sinless life that you and I are not able to live And he died the death that you and I should die so that we can have what John Stott calls the great exchange. Jesus has no sin but ours. We have no righteousness but his. Right? That's wonderful. He's to be a male. Well, that's a given, right? Jesus was a male. The slaughter happens for everyone at the same time, right? It said that they wanted all the lambs slaughtered at twilight all at the same time. Jesus was the sufficient substitute once and for all for everyone. John 1, 29. The next day when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the all-inclusive substitutionary atonement in Jesus Christ applies to all who come to him. And the last thing was the blood was to be applied to the entrance of their dwelling place. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. The Lamb of God whose blood is, is applied to the doorpost of our hearts, to our dwelling place. The certainty of the substitute, right? Remember how when they gave the specifications, God was, was so certain with his promise And the people rested in that promise with certainty. Can you and I have the same certainty that Jesus' substitutionary death is all that we need? The answer is yes. John wrote in 1 John 5, 11, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son of life, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, here's the key. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Struggling with the assurance of salvation is so common to so many people because they have a desire to get it right. And Satan would love nothing more 
than to cause you to wrestle with and to question the assurance of that salvation. But it says here in John's gospel that the same certainty that God wanted the people of Israel to have in Egypt is the same certainty that he wants you and me to have that the sacrifice and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient for us when we believe in him. It truly is all that we need to be saved. Now, some of you may say, bro, you don't know what kind of past I come from. You're right. I may not know that, but God does. God does. And nowhere in Scripture does it say, if you'll take care of X, Y, and Z and then come to me, then you will be approved to have the blood of Christ applied to your life. No. You come to him just the way that you are because all of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. Well, the sufficiency of the substitute, as I just said, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient for salvation once and for all. Revelation chapter 5, Pastor Brian's actually going to read it in the service. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Talking about Jesus. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is just sufficient for you and me and for all that we need. Well, what about the celebration of the substitute? For the Israelites, they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's something that they did every year. They had a little gap in there where they had forgotten. And then King Josiah, you can read about his reform uh, in the Kings in the Old Testament. King Josiah uh, led the people to uh, revival and reformation, and he reinstituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Just a little side note, anybody in here know what festival was going on in Jerusalem the week that Jesus laid down his life to be crucified? You could say it with confidence. It's kind of a... Thank you. Yes, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were celebrating the Passover. How, how awesome is that? Jesus didn't die when he did just because that's when it happened. He strategically died in that week because it's when they celebrated their rescue from Exodus to prove that he is the final perfect substitutionary lamb for all. That's what's so cool. And now you and I celebrate that through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing at the end of the service today. So when you partake in the Lord's Supper today, think about this transition from the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what Paul says. Paul says, for when I what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? They did this every year in order to remind themselves and pass that on to the generations. And it's the same thing for us as Christians and especially for us as dads, right? The same um, commission that was given in the Old Testament is given to us today that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, right, that's on us to teach our children. Why do we do this? What does that mean? And that's what we have today, okay? So, what a wonderful, wonderful passage looking at, not only just in Egypt, but in us today, right? The, the substitutionary lamb for the, uh, for the Israelites and the substitutionary lamb for us 
in Jesus Christ. So we got a little bit of time uh, around your table groups this morning. And so here are a few things that you could possibly discuss uh, in the time that you have left, right? What's something about these different uh, facts of the substitute, right? The specifications, the certainty, the sufficiency, the celebration. You know, what's something about those things that stands out to you? Uh, what's something that you take away from the plagues? Thinking through the plagues as a whole, what's something about all of these plagues that kind of stands out to you? Uh, and then the last one that you could consider is like, what's the truth about the plagues that we can apply to our lives? Okay, let me pray. Uh, and then you guys could spend some time talking about some of this around your uh, table groups this morning. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much. Uh, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. Uh, Lord, I, I confess in my life, oftentimes, it's, it's like I've thought about it, I've read about it, I've heard about it so much that, that maybe it's, its impact and its truth um, doesn't really penetrate and resonate to the level that it should. Uh, and so, Lord, this morning, as we reconsider uh, the truth that you are the lamb who was slain. It was by your blood that we were purchased uh, from our sin, from our death, and from the wrath of God that we might be redeemed and that we might worship you. Just as the people were freed from slavery for the sole purpose of worshiping you, we too have been freed from the penalty of sin and death in order that we might know you and that we might worship you. Through the sacrificial lamb of Jesus Christ, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for paying the price for our sin. And Lord, this morning I pray that we would worship you as a freed people and that we might remember your sacrifice as we take your supper this morning and that we would continue to walk with you and to just honor you all the days of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.